I got love for you, man. You know what, I'm <laughs> what are we talking about? You know, I'm not here to start any trouble. I'm only going to say nice things about you from now on. I think you're handsome, and I think you're a wonderful host. I'm fat and I'm overweight. Just don't say anything silly. I was waiting for you to say that. I'm not laughing about it. You think this is funny? I take this serious. You know, I don't want y'all to take anything that out of context that I'm saying. He's very funny. He likes to joke around a lot. As a personality and as an entertainer, yes. This is going to be really quick. I'm not taking any questions. Go ahead and get comfortable. I'm going to talk for a little bit. You're listening to Cabby Presents, the podcast. Welcome, 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 welcome to another episode. Leaving the winter and soon to be entering the spring, the spring, the marvelous thing. Best sports month is upon us because the best tournament in sports is soon to begin. The NCAA March Madness Tournament. It's not open to debate. March is the best. That is the best tournament. Playoff races form in the NBA and the NHL, and baseball is about to start. It's all about March. October's nice. March is where it's at. I'm your host, Cabby Richards. On Twitter, it's at the real Cabby, all one word, and Cabby is spelled C-A-B-B-I-E. Same thing on Instagram, and Facebook is where I have a bunch of shareables, but you've got to type in the government name. So it's uh, Cabral Richards is the government name for those who don't know, and that's C-A-B-R-A-L. Richards, check me out on Facebook. Thank you to the new subscribers of the podcast and the recent comments. If you're new to the show, you're about to listen to two of the best storytellers I've encountered in 15 years of working in the industry. Both are unique in their own way, and both had me captivated, and I'm confident you will be too. So recently I took a trip to Los Angeles to interview Tom Arnold at his home. We get there right on time. His assistant, we found out later, is from Toronto and formerly Russell Peters' assistant. So immediately there's a connection, and we small talk about living in Los Angeles and where we're staying. We stay at a spot in West Hollywood and the inevitable discussion about In-N-Out Burger, and it's brilliant. So Tom's got uh, two Mercedes in the driveway and uh, uh, like a contemporarily designed place. Like everything is very chic. It's very... Um, it's like uh, everything was bought out of a magazine. He's got cool art. He's got expensive rugs, a nice artifacts uh, on the tables. And there's like a photo museum in the living room behind where we conduct the interview for TV, which has a bar. And this would be the area he entertains people, if not the backyard by the pool. So Tom Arnold is up in the Hollywood Hills, um, over in, in Beverly Hills, not too far from Brentwood and the UCLA campus. Across from his place, there's a giant palace. Like, okay, so there's like a valley in between his place and this compound, which was probably owned by the guy that invented the color green. Like, it's massive. So it's on the top of this ledge over, overlooking the entire city. Anyway, it, it's, it's either, like, depressing or motivating to look at that monstrosity every morning. Back to Tom Arnold. He arrives downstairs to greet us. He's super nice. He's fresh from the shower, sweating a little bit in his white tee. And he apologizes for not having the, his gym to show us. Okay, so his w- wife is... Eight months pregnant, she, she, she might be, she may have even had her baby by the time you're hearing this. And uh, the gym, 
um, had to go in place of uh, the baby's arrival, if I can remember correctly. Anyway, we cover a bunch of topics, as you'll hear at the beginning. Uh, he calls me Cubby, which, uh, you know, it's, it's not the first time my name uh, has been messed up, and it won't be the last, and I didn't have the heart to correct him. Here's our conversation. If it's going to be uh, an interview, I'm going to conduct it. So I'll answer my own questions, ask myself the questions, then give y'all the answers. Ladies and gentlemen, the man to my left has spent the better part of his professional career adding the funny in television <laughs> and movies. And also, for the better part of a decade, co-hosted the best damn sh sports show, period. Mm -hmm. This. How are you, Cubby? It's Tom Ardo. Good to see you, man. Congratulations on being pregnant. Thank you. How's it's very how's the that's a, How's the it's, uh, it's huge. And I got to tell you, <laughs> as you men know, when you get pregnant, it is game on for the food. Now, my wife is a very conscious eater, not a big meat eater like me, not a you know crazy eater. Now she has pancakes at one in the morning, and she'll say, you want pancakes at one in the morning? I'm like, heck yes, I want pancakes at one in the morning. So it's a green light for you. It's a green light, and it's also, she doesn't eat it all. She, she, I eat mine, and then I get to eat hers. But if she's in the eighth <laughs> month, so she's getting a little selfish right now. She's eating her own stuff. But uh, and I'll probably lose weight that way. But I am, I'm loving it. I'm an older guy. It's my first child, and uh, I did have to give up my gym upstairs, which I wish we were in. I had an amazing gym, all kinds of memorabilia from every hockey thing you can imagine. Huge gym of workout equipment that did I never ever, used. I never ever, used it. Do you ever have like Wayne Gretzky come check out your gym? I have, a, have Wayne Gretzky. He's been over. Really? Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, he's Wayne's a really good guy. I know him well. I know these guys. You know, I love the hockey guys because they. They are the best. You know, if you consider uh, different sports, like the hardest sport is hockey, in my opinion, and they're the nicest guys. And then you go hockey, football, baseball, and then basketball up here. You know, those guys, they can be jerks because their job is easier. <laughs> Wait, their job's easier <laughs> than hockey? Than baseball? They yeah, it's easier than sweat in baseball. No, the whole life ask of a Mike, hockey player. Ask, ask Matt, Matt Kemp if he sweats. Let me tell you something. I played Little League Baseball. That's where you start when you're little. Yes. But I never played in Saskatoon in <laughs> 30 below outside on a fishing pond. And that's what these guys do. They start out young. Their whole life span is harder. <laughs> There's, you, you know how many people you just won over? The well, no, no. They're also the craziest. Uh, I, I, if you do a charity event, you should do this with hockey players. You will have stories for the rest of your life. That's stuff true. you will not believe happened in front of you. Sure, they raise a lot of money. They're amazingly generous, <laughs> but they do stuff that you can't even imagine. So okay, so Tom, if your if your child um, expresses an interest in sports, right? How are you going to resist the temptation to inject your competitiveness in that child's athletic endeavors? Well. It, the first thing is, you know, I'm a, a college sports is huge here. Yeah. I'm an Iowa Hawkeye. That is what that is who I was when I went to the gates of my grandpa when I was four. You know, that's part of my soul. And I would hope that my son would be would be a Hawkeye. That'll be the most pressure I'll put on him. You know, I have my my teams here and there, the Cubs and the New York Giants and stuff. And I'll let that. You know, he doesn't have to be a Laker fan. But I think to uh, you know, I want him to be an Iowa Hawkeye. How? But how do you gonna resist being that dad? Well, where you're just like you're, you're either you're really you push him very hard right. or. 
you're like the stats monster. Like well, you're up there with the pad. Remember like you know, baseball games is the dude yeah, with the yeah, box Yeah, yeah, I've score, seen those guys. The manual box scores. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll be 90 years old when he's playing <laughs> sports. So, uh, you know, he has a... But I love to coach. I love the... One of the greatest things I ever did, I was a little... A girl softball coach when I was younger. Mm. And that was the first time I ever got any self-esteem. I was 12 or 13 and my neighbor said, hey, Barney Winger's like, you want to coach the girls? And, and my sister was on the team, but I thought that'd be great. And we won a, a little trophy. And honest to God, that changed my life. I said, you know, I have, there's something I could do here. And we won and it was an amazing experience. I got the picture upstairs. I'll, I'll give you a close up for you. <laughs> it's probably a story. What am I saying? Well, everything's a storage here. I like that the 12-year-old girls gave you self-esteem. They really they, did. Is it because they respected you? Or they well, loved- it just because okay. I had a shirt. I had the team <laughs> shirt on. You put the team shirt and the team hat, and you, you get respect right away. That's, that was an amazing experience. Okay, you mentioned a few sports. Uh, when you, I, I, you know, I was uh, reading your, your Twitter feed recently. I know you went to the Super Bowl in, in New did. Orleans. And you Always. and Chris Rose had, uh, you we had, had your, own little, your own little show. Well, where no, the, one, no one got to see it except you guys. Right, but, but, well, the blackout happened. Here's what happened. Uh, when the blackout happened, uh, I was sitting down there, and it was about the best time of the game to me. Because up to that point, the game was like, my team's not playing in the game. This is a blowout. I want to get out of here. Then the blackout happens. So they take us. They were sitting down at the bottom, and they take us under the stadium. Mm. Some other actors and people in in your business. And so we go into this big room, and there's no TV on because there's no power, and the lights are very dim. And we actually got to talk to each other and hang out. And people, you know, the fans that came in there got to. We got to spend some quality time. But it was a great mm. moment. You know, that we did not expect to have happen because the Super Bowl is so go, 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 go. Yeah, yeah. So I got to see Chris Rose. I got to see a whole bunch of athletes. Uh, uh, there's a was, guy. Uh, did Beyonce find her way down Beyonce there? Beyonce was down close. I mean, I'm telling you, you can, you can get close to people once you're down there in the, in the caverns. <laughs> it was, but we had one guy, Mark Burnett. He's a big producer here. Of course. He does the all these shows. Right. He came up to me. I was taking a picture with a, a person. And he came up and goes, come here. That's the way out, that tunnel right there. Because he was thinking, you know, he's Mark Burnett, he's a survivor. He thinks this could be a bad, you know, some kind of terrorist thing. That's the time. He was totally serious. He, really? he only told me. He didn't tell the other actors. So I felt kind of bad about that for them. But I would have gone without him. <laughs> I would have. But it was a real, it was a great moment. At the height of your fame, yeah. how often would you have to reach into that right pocket to pay for anything at a sporting event? Well, I tip. I, okay, you always got to tip. I don't care who you are. And I'm telling this to athletes, you got to tip because I see some that don't. Who you doesn't know, tip? They tip at, at strip clubs. Hey, it's making a rain. <laughs> you got to tip your guy that's to park in your car, the guy, the security guy, like a security guy who's a volunteer at the Super Bowl, who's a Marine. And he volunteered, this guy that was with us, he took us everywhere we wanted to go. By the way, that's why a guy with a yellow uh, a plastic jacket on, it says security, you get with him, he has you can go power. anywhere yeah. you want. It doesn't even matter. So you give him a little something because this kid, you know, he comes over from Mississippi to work all night for the Super Bowl. You give him a little something, and that's what you do. So, you know, I didn't pay for my Super Bowl tickets. Thanks, CMT. I didn't, <laughs> you know, I didn't pay for my flight down there. And, and But, you know, once you're there in, in a city, you gotta, you got to be generous. So there was a stretch of your life for like 11 years you didn't pay for anything. You just tipped people. Well, I tipped. Uh, you, you, you didn't even buy your clothes. Well, you just... I, when I had the sports show, that was the best job I'll ever have because I love sports. I would do done that for free, and yet they paid me millions of dollars to do it. <laughs> and so you get into all these games, you get to know these athletes, you know, you have these experiences that you, when you're a kid, and you, you know, especially the heroes, the legends, right. you know, all of a sudden you're sitting next to them. And it, it is a crazy, 
very, you know, I'm next to Willie Mays one day. Awesome. And, and I'm next to, you know, all these guys I grew up, I'm like, how could this be happening? I wish my grandpa could see me. You know, so that was a, a real pleasure. Who and there you, wasn't, you didn't have to pay for anything. Who did you become closest with? Well, you know, I, I got to know, you know, I, I Gretzky, you know, Gretzky I know, and everybody around here knows, and we've spent time together. He's a great guy. He does a lot of charity stuff. You know, there's a, David Wells became a really good friend. I was in his wedding. He was a baseball pitcher. Right, right. He's a, Pitch a, a perfect game. Yeah, against, perfect uh, I game. Think the, I think the, yeah. the twins, I think. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you get to know certain guys, and, and they're on these championship teams. And you guys he has, have similar have, body types. Yeah, we have. No, he, he's actually, I'm fatter than him. It's hard to believe. But he has a, <laughs> he, if you've seen him naked, which I have, it's not that bad of a body. He just looks bad with clothes on. <laughs> and that's the, but, you know, you get to meet a guy like Derek Jeter. Let me tell you something. Derek Jeter is the nicest athlete ever. He is the best. He is I love, and I mean this sincerely. Wait, I love Derek Jeter. Like man crush Derek Jeter? Absolutely. Beyond that, he is, he's perfect. He's <laughs> such a good human being. He's the guy that when you walk into the NEC, they're like, Tom, uh, don't talk to, Jer to Derek. And then he gets up off the ground and shakes your hand. And, and, and he floats. It's amazing. Yeah, David Beckham is also like that. He gave me the shirt off his back at a soccer game in, in uh Reese, this is like after I had the sports show. So it was so, amazing. So wait, okay. but no, So now there's the theme of like, uh, male nudity. Right. Know? There's David Wells. Well, let me tell you about the, male nudity. There's the antidote to David Wells. Let me tell you about male nudity, my friend. You go into a locker room, NFL, and you are, will be ashamed to ever present yourself nude. In, these guys are so confident. They walk into the shower as a group and come out completely naked, and they'll talk to you, and you, you see things that you did not think were possible. <laughs> You see things with elbows that shouldn't have elbows. There, and it just is like, oh my gosh, I will never stand at, with, at a urinal with this human being ever, because I am so embarrassed. So, but but they have pride, you know, and that and that's the that's the thing. They 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 have pride for their bodies. They have respect, you know, and they have confidence. And I have none of those things. What was this? How did how did David Beckham give you the shirt off of his back? Uh, well, was it was, I was in the tunnel, and it's the first. Oh boy! Oh boy! Get out of here! It was the first. Uh, this is not. My, this is my wife's dog. I just want to make very clear. I have a pit bull outside. No, it was a giant stadium. They were playing a, a friendly against somebody, and as he came off, you know, everybody's screaming at him. And I, I said, can I Did you have scream your the shirt? loudest? Or well, you... I was like, I was kind of, a, I get a little shy when they're up close. And I said, can I have your shirt? And he gave it. And I said, would you like mine? And he said, no. No, I, I would not. Because mine was actually sweatier than his. And he played 90 minutes. But, but you know, you, you get in these positions. And, and you, you know, that's the great thing about your job. You know, you, you, these fantastic people who've had these fantastic careers, and athletes have the best of them. They have a magic that, you know, I did shows where I sat next to athletes and they were, you know, they communicated and did stuff. But when it's game on, when it's Michael Irvin and you're playing catch or you're playing a, a game and there might be a bet involved, he's going to beat you. He'll, he, he's going to knock you on your butt on the cement and beat you. They have a magic and it turns on like that. You think to yourself, oh my gosh, look at this guy. We're about the same size. Then there's some kind of competition, and it's over because right. they have something that we don't have. Now, athletes over the past, like every generation, athletes get bigger, stronger, and faster. Right. And um, you know, and you look at okay, so that's athletes, and then in, in some of the actors, you look at like The Rock, who is a tank. Right. And you worked with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, right. You know, I'll tell you a story about ago. The Rock. When I went to Iowa, he played on Miami, 
and uh, right. the college, and they came to play Iowa, and they were kicking our butts. And the guy in front of me, Woody, a buddy of mine, says, uh, "I say to him at some point because their their mascot was is called an ibis. Well, I'm not sure what it is. It's supposed to be a it's a giant bird, I think, of mm. some sort." And they were mocking us. The Ibis was mocking Herky, our mascot. And I said to Woody, I will give you $1,000 if you go out and tackle that mascot. And he, and he, and he started getting fired. He goes, will you bail me out of jail? I go, 100%. <laughs> and so this is a famous thing. This happened on ESPN. He ran out on the air and tackled their mascot. And the cheerleaders beat him up. Come and they on. were and they hauled him away. He had handcuffs on. And Rock was in that game. And The Rock told me, Dwayne Johnson, that later... They were teasing the mascot at practice, and one of the, their football players clipped him, and it tore out his knee for the rest of the year. The so, mascot or the player? Yeah, the, the mascot. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, don't worry. It was just a mascot. <laughs> it was just a human being. But, you know, those little – and then it turned out he turned in, he was the rock, it turned out. So, so uh, great story, by the great way. Great story. Log. No, no, but it was great. It was great. So, so the rock is huge. You worked with Arnold, who was huge. Huge. Um, and these athletes are just getting bigger and bigger. Uh-huh. Have, have you ever – been tempted to go on like a cycle of HGH or because there's a different Absolutely. standard Absolutely. for actors than there are athletes. I would love that if it were. Here's the problem, and I did try a little bit of that human growth. I swear because everybody, in real life, people in this town were doing that maybe t- eight years ago. It was a new thing. Oh, it'll make you younger. You'll feel like more, you know. But the problem, the guys that were doing it successfully, they went on a diet. I ate like crazy. So whatever it did to me, I still had all this fat. I mean, you to try it for about three months or whatever. Not like, you know, the super guys try it. But, you know, Arnold, here's a guy that seizes every day. Still, he's 65 years old. He gets up at 5 a.m., does his workout, 30 minutes on the bike, exactly like a machine, goes through the circuit training. And, and that's who he is. He's not as big as he used to be, obviously. But if you see Arnold naked, you go, that's a good-looking 65-year-old man. He'd be good-looking for 40, you know? Maybe not 35, but you know he gets he dyes his hair and everything, but he's still manly. Yeah. Anyway. Are you uh, okay? So how wild is the UK? Uh, you got to go to Super Bowl 47, courtesy of CMT. Right. And your show uh, is big fat. Sorry, big fat redneck. My no, no, no. my big redneck vacation. My big redneck vacation. Just so, started in Canada. We're very proud. Yeah, that's all. That. Yeah, we have yeah. we have CMT in Canada. Yeah, yeah, I know you do. I know um, you do. We're very excited about that. So, how wild does it get with with like the environments that you go to? Well, I so I get it gets it not as wild because I do it in a studio in oh, Hollywood. Great. I do a green screen thing. I did participate. You know, a little bit. What's nice about this family is, I don't know if you, you do have rednecks up there. I know you don't believe this, but you do. Rednecks, yeah, they're in the middle of the our life, But it's the lifestyle. You know, I just did some shows in Winnipeg and you get out there. Calgary. I mean, come on. You're right. Come yeah, on. Yeah, Alberta. You've been to Stampede? Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. Have yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. Such a Those good guys time. are athletes too. Let me tell you something. When yeah. they're racing those wagons, that is, chuck that is better than NASCAR. <laughs> Absolutely. It's riskier, takes more skill. But no, they get, you know, uh, rednecks are, it's a lifestyle. It's, they're sports fans. They like outdoor stuff. You know, they're, they're very family oriented. And so we take this and they family. Like beer. And they like beer. And they love beer. They love beer. And so we take them from Louisiana. They've never been out of there. And then we put them in, and this year up there, they're in the Hamptons. We put this family of 14 to live in the Hamptons. And it's a socio uh, sociological experiment in a yeah. weird way. Because there's a bunch of weirdos in the Hamptons, you know, the rich Americans. Very weird. A lot of Canadians come down there too, by the way. And, and that you put these rednecks in there, and then they end up bonding in ways you couldn't imagine. 
And that's what life's about. That's what sports does. When I'm in a, a, a airport, people are yelling, oh, whatever, whatever. But somebody yells, hey, are the Cubs going to win this year? I'll stop and talk to them because I know they're a Cub fan. Mm. And that's a bond that man to man, woman to man that we have that goes beyond where we live or what our lifestyle is. If someone says, you know, are the Kings going to come back? I say, I hope so. But listen, we got the Stanley Cup and we get to keep it all year. That's right. So we're still in uh, honeymoon uh, mode here that's in right. Los Angeles. That's right. And so that... Those things, when you can share moments with people, strangers, that's what sports does. We're going to call this segment Tom Arnold's Sports Advice. Okay, all right, let's do it. Number one, uh, what is the rule on jerseys? Whether to wear, can you wear them outside of arenas or only at home? What's the rule on jerseys? My rule on jerseys is only in the home. You know, uh, I prefer them on the wall. When I was younger, you know, uh, when I got my first Iowa jersey, I wore that all the time. And now that I know the guys, you know, you you go around and you you have uh, Luke Robitaille's jersey on, and there's Luke Robitaille talking to you and his wife and his kids, and it's weird, you know. <laughs> but but I gotta say, I love it. You know, I love it when I'm in a game and I see a bunch of dudes, 50 year old guys with. 22-year-old guy jerseys on. There's something about it. But I, you know, and here's the rule. Here's another rule. The classics, the legends. You could always wear the legends. Okay. Okay? Always. But the guys that are playing at the time, that is for, that's a younger man's game wearing those jerseys. That's a teenager. That's a, you know, preteen. They get to wear the jerseys of the players playing, but the old men get to wear the legends. How does one um, successfully bargain with a scalper? Not that you've had to in your life. No, no, no. Um, you know, it's. A, I will say this: at the Super Bowl, I did have tickets. Thank you, CMT. And we had an opportunity from another network to get the best tickets, the fifty-yard line. These were like thirty, twenty, and so somebody said they would buy my original ones, which legally I don't think I could sell. But we traded. I traded those nine hundred fifty-dollar piece ones for the twelve hundred fifty-dollar piece because I made these guys pay twenty-five hundred dollars. For these two, and they just took that and gave that money to hypothetical ESPN. <laughs> but but you know, bargaining with those guys, you know, it, it, it's fun. They're hilarious guys. You, a lot of them are very good personalities, the ticket scalpers. Very much Some so. of them are just you know de degenerates too. <laughs> but they, you know, you you got. They're all around. I see them every year at the Super Bowl. I know who the guys are, and uh, you know they will they'll wheel and deal with you a little bit. And, but I have to say this about the Super Bowl. I don't care who you are. It's the festivities leading up to it. If it's not your team in the Super Bowl and you've got these $1,250 tickets and you see a ticket broker, you say to yourself, I, what, what can you, do you get for these? And the guy's like five grand a piece. You're like, so I can get 10 grand for these free tickets that I was given? He's like, yeah. And you start thinking, how do I, if I get caught? Because here's the problem. <laughs> when you get those tickets given to you, they know who where you're sitting, yeah, and, they're, and you're sitting next to the president of the network or something, <laughs> and there's some yahoo in there. So it's not something I can do anymore. What is the oldest a person can be to ask for an autograph? Well, here's the thing. What's the limit? Here is the thing. It's unlimited if you're asking for your grandchild, or you're asking for somebody, or you want it for your charity so you can auction it off. Okay. Now, may, <laughs> it's not something I would do, but when I was younger, let me tell you a story. There was a guy named Vida Blue who pitched for the Oakland A's. He was the MVP and Cy Young, the only pitcher to have done that at that time. I was I live in Otomo, Iowa, a farm community. I went to the Holiday Inn one day, and Vida Blue was sitting there. This is while he was playing. 
And I couldn't believe it. He was buying some farmland by, by where I lived. And I went up to him, and I was scared to death. And I went up to him, and he signed autograph, and he was so nice that he kind of quizzed me on his career to see if I knew who he was. And, man, that changed me. And I, and I said to myself, if I ever get famous or successful, I'm going to be as gracious as Vita Blue was to me. Because, man, I had that on my wall, and that meant something. When, when guys get older, your age, my age, those things don't mean as much. But, you know, you go upstairs and, you know, you see Sandy Koufax assigned some. You see every Yankee when they won 1998. I've got every Yankee. You see a ball from David Wells' perfect game. Those things, because there's a personal connection. If you know the person, if you were there for this thing, if it means something to you personally, then you can have it up there. You can ask for an autograph. But otherwise... You have to pretend it's for your charity or your grandkid or whatever. <laughs> so if you meet Joe Montana and you're like, hey. I have, Joe, I have played catch with Joe Montana, played football. I have his jersey from Notre Dame. I, I saw Joe Montana over the holidays in Maui, and we had a really nice talk about how Notre Dame was doing and how they treated his son and et cetera, stuff I can't say on TV now that I think about it. <laughs> but I love that guy. And, you know, you get to know these guys because and, and, they're doing other kinds of careers. But the, he's still Joe Montana. And when he walked, you know, there, I, I remember everything about him sec, the second I see him, and not that he's just a human being. He's a legend. He's, he's on the Mount legend. Rushmore. And the yeah. last one is, how does Tom Arnold pick his March Madness bracket? Well, you know, the first thing I do, and this is stupid, is uh, <laughs> I go with my heart. So any Iowa connection to any team, <laughs> I'm picking them as many times, and then I screw up my whole bracket. Uh, you know, I, I, why, I, the Big Ten this year, that is also my Indiana, that's my conference. In the state, it's it's going to be ugly. We have a lot of great teams, and it's however they divide the teams up. You know, the the number one seeds, they can honestly have three Big Ten teams as number one seed, in my opinion, and that gives me a chance to play along more. But I, you know, I uh, you see who's hot at the end of the year. That just like at the in at the Super Bowl, it's who's hot. It's not who has the best record is who's get, you know getting into their, their groove but then there's also the science about the underdogs like that 12 over a five seed and like the right third, like well the, i love that for rooting i will figure out a way to root i could go to a high school game a junior high game and figure out a way to root i'm that kind of fan <laughs> well what is the deal here do they have a personal story hey there's fat kids on this team i root for them i always root for the fat kids you know and it's a personal thing but you know you i love those upsets i i, I love if a 16 beat a one i mean that would be amazing. But then you get down to business towards the end of your break because you want the best team to win. Of course. But it, there's nothing. Sports is so great. It's the only thing in life where there is a beginning, middle, and end. And there's rules. And when you start, anything can happen. And you know what? Sometimes anything does happen. And it's crazy. And you have the worst day. When I worked at a meatpacking plant for three years, I came home. And, and it was a horrible job, and it was tough, but I put on sports, and these amazing things would happen, and they'd stick with me, and the next day at the plant, that's we talk about that as we're boning hams, or we're, you know, <laughs> doing all these horrible jobs we used to do, but I tell you what, it's, sport is the best drug in the world. It is, it is my favorite drug. I recommend it. It's wonderful, and uh, it, it, it can change, it affects the quality of my life, which is ridiculous, that a game or something can affect your call, but but it does. And you know, one thing I had Jimmy Carter, the former president of the United States, on the sports show, and he told me that when, while he was president, if the uh, if Atlanta lost, the Braves, 
it messed up his day in, in the Oval Office. It wow. really did. And that's a real sports fan. It really is. Yeah. It really is. Uh, we mentioned anything is possible, and I'm sure that as a young kid in Iowa, mm -hmm. you never thought you could get to the heights you did, but you did. No. So uh, for this kid from Toronto, yeah. I hope that at some point I could reach the same heights that you did. Well, thank, thank you, buddy. You very you, much for having us. You know, we got a lot of Toronto people down here in Hollywood. I mean, we got a lot. So slow down, man. <laughs> Stay, stick with Everybody what you got. Everybody loves Canadians, don't they? Yeah. They do. The next day after meeting Tom Arnold, we shot a segment with the Los Angeles Kings, and then we went to Larry King's house. Yes, that's correct. We went to his home. Again, we were in Beverly Hills on a beautiful street with big houses, and as Tom Arnold lived in the hills, Larry lived in a more traditional neighborhood with, uh, lined with picturesque palm trees. And Larry had been interviewed on Off the Record with Michael Landsberg in the past, so that's how my producer Dave Cricks had the contact info with his publicist. So we get there a little early, and we buzz the doorbell, and his, uh, his assistant-slash-publicist, Ginger, tells us to enter because the door is open. So, like, really rich people, they leave their doors open. There are two staircases rounding the front foyer upstairs like that scene from The Matrix Reloaded. And there's like a giant marble table in the front uh, for, as we enter with uh, photos on his family. To the right, there's an Emmy Award in another room just on a table. I'm like, I'm in Larry King's house. Ginger, whose real name I think is Veronica or Victoria or something, if I can remember correctly, lovely lady, tells us we can set up in the what I call the Larry King Museum. In this room are awards, memorabilia, letters, photos, all of his working days uh, in radio and television on one side, including a personalized letter from, Sa from Frank Sinatra, who is extremely complimentary in this letter. Now, on the other side are shelves of sports memorabilia. You know, there's signed baseballs, a couple of bats. There's a, a seat from Dodger Stadium, uh, a Chris Paul signed sneaker, a bunch of photos, and the prize possession is a pair of gloves signed by Muhammad Ali, the greatest of all time. So we set up in the room and await Larry's arrival uh, from picking up his sons uh, from school. So in he walks and ready to go after about 20 minutes since we got there. He's shorter than I thought, but his voice booms. He's nice, but he's ready to roll. Like he wants to get this thing going. So here for your audio entertainment, my conversation with Larry King in the Larry King Museum. If it's going to be uh, an interview, I'm going to conduct it. So I'll answer my own questions, ask myself the questions, then give y'all the answers. Ladies and gentlemen, the man to my right has been teaching a master class in the art of interviewing for decades. To his Yoda, I am a young Jedi. I am Luke. Dirk. Bless you, Cappy. <laughs> Thank you, sir. This is Larry King, and welcome to Cabby Presents. Thank you, Cabby. My pleasure. You make your interview subjects so comfortable on camera, like you're, it's as though we're having a conversation here in this wonderful room. Have you, has it always been like that? Have you always had yeah, this ability? I've always had that. I grew up with it. I never, could never explain it, Cappy, but you have to have curiosity, and I've had that since. When I was a kid, if we would go to Ebbets Field, Dodger Games, right. All my friends wanted autographs. I never wanted an autograph. I just wanted to ask questions. The players would come out, why'd they bunt? Why'd they do this? Why'd you do that? I remember just 
it was so I grew up asking questions. Why did the bus driver want to drive a bus? I was a why person. I've always been the kind of person you don't want to sit next to on an airplane. <laughs> I just that's just the way I am. Are you like that now? If you yeah, see- I'm still. I'm, I'm, I've always been like I pick up my boys at school. What happened today in school? Why'd you do that? Why are you going here? You know, I'm just. It's insatiable. I don't know if you could teach this. I, I, a lot of it's inborn. But I've had the ability to relax people. I don't know what that is. I just, I sort of make the camera disappear. I, uh, one thing is, I, I don't ask questions that begin with I. Uh, the guest counts. I'm interested, they really know I'm interested in them because I really am. Therefore, you break inhibitions down that way. I don't have an agenda. I'm not there to pin them against the wall. Right. In other words, if, uh, let's say I'm interviewing A-Rod today, and I interviewed him a couple years ago, but let's say I'm interviewing today. The worst question to begin with is, do you take drugs? <laughs> and the reason that's a bad question is, one, puts them on a defensive. Two, you could answer it yes or no, because you began with did. Of course. You just say no, right? Instead, you go into other, completely other things. How's the hip? You're leading up to other things. What do you think of all this this drug thing? What's your opinion? You see, that's simply put, you're not accusing him of anything, but you're drawing him out. I don't know what it is, but I just, and I like people. You gotta like people. And it's not about me, so I don't use the word I. I, in my response to that, I feel like I could just lay on this chaise <laughs> and then just oh, tell you everything about but, uh, being you can't, I can't tell other people how to do it. Mike Wallace was a dear friend, and I, he did a piece on me for 60 minutes. And I, Mike worked totally prepared, and he totally had an agenda. But he was great at what he did. So the advice I give to people is, advice given to me years ago by great broadcast icons, Red Barber, Dodger Baseball, and... Arthur Gottfried, great broadcasters, always said the secret of this business is there's no secret, <laughs> which is be yourself. Whatever works for you, you do that. You can't be someone else. So don't, if you're a young kid want to be an interviewer, don't be Larry King. Be you. I'm me. You be you. Whatever works for you. Will do, sir. And when you're... Um interviewing, say, like a famous politician or an entertainer or an athlete, when you're in conversation with those people from different fields, is the way that you speak to them or the way that conversation goes, is it different for those, no. those people? All of them is who, what, where, when, why. So whether it's all like, interviews ever done, whether you're the mayor, president, shortstop, plumber, who, what, where, when, why. You with the president? What's it like to be president? What's it like to get up in this White House where Lincoln slept? Plumber. What, what is the gratification? What gratifies you? What are the rewards of plumbing? I bring that up because when I first started, I was doing a show in a restaurant where people just walked in. Jimmy Hoffa came in one day, Bobby Darren. But one day a plumber came in and I interviewed a plumber for 45 minutes. Wow. And I learned fascinating things, like, he, and I, now this is 53 years ago, and I remember him telling me, before you buy a house, call a plumber in. Really? And have the plumber look at the plumbing. 
because the plumbing is the key to a house. You got bad plumbing, you're going to have terrible days ahead. And he was fascinated because when he looked under the sink, he looked at the whole house as a total and how that related to it. So, so there's rewards in everything. But you have to be, you have to be, you have to be curious. And when, uh, say you interview, I don't know how you do this, but if you're interviewing, you mentioned Alex Rodriguez or say it's a Michael Jordan or even it's Muhammad Ali, someone that the public knows a lot about, how are you able to find out things that we don't know? By just, by just being curious, by those that I interviewed Ali when he first won the Olympic gold medal in light heavyweight in Rome. I interviewed him when he was Cassius. I interviewed him right after he became Muhammad Ali. Michael Jordan, I not only interviewed him a few times, I was there when he left to go play baseball. And I unveiled his statue at the United Center in Chicago. But basically, it's still, yeah, we all know Michael Jordan is, oh, I, I spent a day at LeBron James' house. Right, I remember that. And you guys were playing in his backyard. Yeah, I played a little basketball. But, so we know a lot about LeBron James, but there's other things you, you, you may not know, like, uh, like, like an example, Michael Jordan. Were you, were you always good? Maybe. Just that. Yeah. Were you always good? He was cut in high school. Right. Cut by his, I didn't know that. He was cut by his junior high school in, team. Yeah, in grade nine at Laney yeah. High. Yeah. But I didn't know that. But then he told the story of what he was like as a, I was like, he's cut. Why do you want to play baseball? Because his father wanted him to play baseball. If you started when you were 18 or 17, how good do you think you'd have been? At another sport. See, it's the same. Uh, uh, the great Isaac Stern was a great violinist. What would I, I asked him, would you have been good if it was a piano? He said, yeah. Music comes from the heart. What instrument you choose is incidental. Mm. Is there something that you found out about LeBron James that, being curious that, you know, that we may not have known. I, I, remember, I remember the interview. I don't remember everything. I was amazed at how really a regular guy he is. When he made that mistake the of saying, I'm going to something, that was one mistake in his life. He's overcome that very well. And I knew he would, because what I discovered about him is a genuineness. He is a really genuine guy. And the people around him are people who grew up with him. That's a wonderful trait. Because the people around him, to them, he's not LeBron James. He's LeBron. Right. Hey, want to go have a soda? He's LeBron. <laughs> and I'm, I've been that way all my life. My friends that I hang out with are friends I grew up with. And I think that, so there's a lot into him. There's a lot in a person. LeBron James knows how good he is, appreciates how good his teammates are, and cares about the other guy. Like those, those feelings he has for those kids in Akron, it's genuine. Mm. You mentioned uh, Michael Jordan, and, and a lot of people compare LeBron to Michael Jordan because we That's you know, a big sports. dispute all today. Is I listened to sports talk radio. That's all they were talking about. And the problem with that is, one, they never played against each other. So all we're doing is comparing by what we saw and our personal relationship with them. Like, I grew up in Brooklyn. Stan Musi was the best baseball hitter I ever saw. Creamed us, right? <laughs> but my friend Herbie used to go to Yankee Stadium and the Lord Ted Williams was better. So it comes from our perception. Michael Jordan won six titles, 
right? But yes. he played with the Bulls all the time. And the Bulls got better as he progressed, and they got better players. Well, he played, in, LeBron played in Cleveland. Well, he didn't have good people around him until he got to Miami. Right. So you have to withhold judgment. LeBron can do everything well, all five things well. So I look at him with amazement, and I think eventually he will break everything ever broken. He will break. I, one guy on the radio called in today, I forgot the show, and said, look at how strong LeBron is, how tough he is. He has to take steroids, right? Oh, he, went, he went that way with it. Okay, yeah, so all right. He, and the host said a correct thing. A steroid, the most powerful steroid in the world, can't make the ball go in a hoop. Of course. Right? Yeah. Can't put the ball in a hoop. Might make you stronger. Can't put the ball in a hoop. So basketball, you know, they had steroid situation, maybe three in the history of the NBA. Yeah. It won't make you better. Right. So I, I didn't, you know, they, they looked, but it was interesting. The caller brought up that he, he had to look at his strength. Because I can, wait, why a series wouldn't help you? So I'm, I'm fascinated with the, fasc the reason I love sports so much is, and athletes, I have great appreciation for athletes because they face winning and losing. I don't face that. You don't face that. They win. And when we, we wake up in the morning, we don't know who's going to win. That's why I love sports. I don't know who's going to win tonight. I'm a Clipper fan. They're playing Houston. I don't know if they're going to win. <laughs> so, and the athlete, though, he looks up, and the final score was 107 to 102. There is a scoreboard. Here's what I did. I shot eight. It's there. The ho I love horse racing. Can win by a nose. Still, there's the finish line. Still won. I don't face winning and losing every day. And athletes' careers end when most careers begin. Right. Really, people, you're starting out in life and you're starting to make it in business. When you're 35, 37, things start to hit. You're ready to quit. Great title for a book called When the Cheering Stops. I was sitting with Joe Namath a couple of years ago, and we were at a restaurant in New York. People don't rush to your table anymore. Think about that. Yeah, yeah. Your fame is yesterday. Right. What did you do today? Me, If Michael Jordan and LeBron James walked into a room today, more people would go to LeBron James. You think so? Of course. The Michael Jordan? He's playing. But it's Michael Jordan. He's playing. There, it's Michael Jordan. He's playing. <laughs> I mean, your attraction would be to, that was Michael Jordan. Was he, LeBron James. My God. Because you saw him last night. And kids would, of course, go to him first. Of course. You mentioned how in interviews you don't come with an agenda. Uh-huh. Never did. But you, and you've interviewed probably thousands of people. 55,000. They 50, ask you. Yeah. <laughs> That's unbelievable. How do you know when somebody's lying, though? You don't. You do the... You think it's obvious. You, I always let the audience make their own judgment. I wasn't... I'm not judgmental. I was there to just learn. And best I can to learn. But I wasn't in the room. When whatever so, happened. So happened, if enough yeah. evidence points to something, you can point out the evidence that points to something. I wasn't there. You know, uh, I, you could, uh, let's say OJ. We all knew what happened to OJ. So you interview OJ, right? And he said, well, I went, didn't do it. I was on a plane in Chicago. And I wasn't on a plane. I wasn't. But OJ, there was blood. There was thing out of thing. There was another thing. There was a house. You, you point out all those things. And he responds, well, then all you can do is, I'm not a judge. 
And by the way, an interview is not a courtroom. You don't go to jail. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, a, it's the court of public opinion. Correct. And that's my, my job is to draw you out and let him, the viewer, make the judgment. I don't make a judgment. I have a, a different style than you do when I converse with people. And, um, You're your own style. Correct, yes. Uh, and some find it obnoxious. Uh, are, I, you, are you obnoxious? Yes, 100%. That's your, see? So I would be fascinated with that. Were you an obnoxious kid? Yes. I was, I was just, but I don't want to make this about me, Larry. I'm no, but this it's about very, you, see, that's what makes it interesting. But, okay, do you enjoy being obnoxious? <laughs> no, it's just do you kind like, of. Do you like your reputation? <laughs> no, because some guys made a career of being, Rush Limbaugh made a career of being a jerk. Right. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I embrace it so much, but that's just kind of my DNA. But I was going to ask you, like, uh, so I do certain things in interviews. Uh, do you ever touch your guests? Uh, no. Yeah, that's, uh, Shake hands, but yeah. why would I have to touch them? I hug people. That's not obnoxious. That's nice. Oh, well, some people. And then sometimes I get uh, close. Like that's you, in your face? Well, not, but not like in an aggressive kiss way. Them? I uh no, I've never kissed anybody. Okay, well. So far, uh, when you get in their face, you get in their face like this. No, angry. but it's more like uh, like this. That's good. That's okay? That's your style. Again, <laughs> you're going to be, you're not being false, are you? No, no, uh, that's just my Every regular... great broadcaster I ever know, every great broadcaster, was the same off the air as on. In other words, if you talk to me, I'm, I'm doing a show every day. On Hulu, an internet show. We have our own network on Aura TV. It's fascinating doing it. I was with William Shatner today, right? Awesome. Great Canadian. Great, great, great time with him. We had a riot, a lot of laughs, right? It was just, it was another wonderful day. It was just another great, look at the chance I get to meet these fabulous people. But I, I'm still myself. So when I was talking to William Shatner before we began, it was the same as when the camera went on. Awesome. I go right to it, and I go to the moment, and I've never been afraid to ask a question. I have never in my life said to myself, is this a good question? Do, I, do you think they will like this? Don't think of that. So you ask hard questions, I trust questions. my instinct. I, tr I ask every kind of question. But knowing, but sometimes... I don't like asking questions I know the answer to. So even if it gets awkward what you ask, you're okay with that? Well, hey, hey, it ain't brain surgery. <laughs> Come on. In fact, there was a funny cartoon in the New Yorker of an operating table, and they're operating on a guy's brain. You see the skull, you know, the rolling. And one doctor leans to the other and says, it ain't television. <laughs> <laughs> so when you think about that, everything, what, what we're doing now, this talk, will not change the world. And when you, well, you know it ain't going to change the world. It's whatever it is. You're, you're in a learning process. A lot of luck is involved with success. Right place, right time. Right pr I had a, Ted Turner had to like me. He had to know my work and bring me to CNN. What if he didn't like me? I guess, well, we it's would have seen you on another network. Maybe. It's a subjective business. Left turn, right turn. What if the day when I was a kid and I went on New York and I was working at odd jobs and I went to college, and a friend of mine says, hey, that's James Sermons. He's an announcer at CBS. And I went over to him and said, hey, I'd like to be in radio. I'm 22 years old. I didn't go to college. What do you, what do you think I should do? He said, go down to Miami. Because Miami, has, they don't have a union. 
There's a lot of stations. Knock on doors, a lot of young guys. Give it a shot. I went to Miami. Those I didn't meet James Sermons. Hmm. You never know. Well, I'm happy to have met you now. And, you know, you said that what we do won't change the world. But for this dude, you, I think you inspired me and changed something. Thank you, Gabby. And I, I was close this way. Get out of my house! <laughs> Thank you for listening to Cabbie Presents, the podcast. 